Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are, uh, <clears throat> the power that is found in you, the grace that is found in you, Lord, the truth that is there. And Lord, uh, you know, we live in a world that is confused about the truth. Uh, truth is transient and uh, it differs with different people and different ideas and different thoughts. But we know, Lord, that the scriptures say that you are the truth and you bring truth to the human heart. You bring revelation and understanding. And we are trusting you even this morning to look, to, to, to help us see the truth that's found in the scriptures, that we might be the children of truth. For uh, it's the only thing that really matters in life, because in the end, it is those who are the children of truth who will stand before you, clothed in your glory. We love you, Lord, and we just, uh, like I say, just open up our eyes to the truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay. How y'all doing? Good. Good. Now listen, I, I'm accepting, uh, you know, comments from the peanut cat. So if y'all have some peanuts to throw at me, feel free. So let me ask y'all a question. You ever think about, like, what the Bible is? The, 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 the physical Bible that we deal with, the books from the prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament. You know, what? what is this book? And what is the purpose behind that book? You know, y'all have any thoughts about that? Well, I can tell you, that book is really not a great deal different from every other book that has ever been written. There's an introduction the book of Genesis, this is introduction to the book. Then there's this body of work that communicates all kinds of diverse truths to us, interrelated, interwoven into this, this story that is there that has this cohesiveness through, throughout the body of the book. And that's true of every other book. And the curious thing about every book is that there is a conclusion to that book. And the, the problem with most folks' understanding of the scriptures and, and what they do with the scriptures is that they find themselves in this body. It'd be like continually reading a book hmm. and excluding the conclusion and studying the entire body of the book, but not, never coming to a knowledge or an understanding of where this thing is pointed to. But the Bible does have a conclusion. And you know what that conclusion is? The conclusion is Jesus Christ. Everything in the scripture, actually Jesus himself said it. He says, you search the scriptures diligently, believing that by them you possess eternal life. Yet these are the scriptures that testify of me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. 
So here, the Jewish people who were the holders of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, were studying these scriptures. They were into these scriptures, but they failed to see that all of these scriptures were pointing to him. And it's nothing, it's no different in the New Testament. All of the New Testament scriptures all point to Jesus. But they were missing it. And I'm going to kind of share with you why they missed it. Um, when you look at humanity and human history, there is a common thread of uh, understanding of uh, a viewpoint of life that is common to all man, which is not actually leading to the end that they presuppose it to end. They believe that the way they think, the way they reason about life, where that life is headed, is, is heading to the place that they want to be. And that life is governed by something. But that life and the governance of that life is not actually going to the end that they hope for. Now, what is what governs human life? Anybody have any thoughts about that? Say it if you if if you, uh, <laughs> if you have any idea. Yes, our thoughts, our our logic, what we think. Yes, that's right. There there was a logic in man that came from somewhere that governs and rules our lives. And what we're going to look at here, if you uh, on the whiteboard here is the fact that humanity and the law are interwoven together. And even before the law of Moses was given, there was law planted in the hearts of men. It's called our conscience. Prior to the fall in the garden, mankind was walking around conscious lips. They were innocent before one another and between them and God, there was no awareness of sin or death. They were just happy folks wandering around the garden, naked as can be, and they knew no shame because no one had told them anything that uh, walking around naked in the garden was evil. They just thought this was normal. So there was this innocence that was in the world that when Satan came in, into the picture and persuaded the man and the woman to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for life, that that innocence was lost. There was a death to innocence. And that's what is kind of pictured here, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a belief system upon which mankind partook of, which tainted the thinking of every human being throughout all human history. And, and that is how we think, that we have a conscience that came to us, a, a sin-stained consciousness that came to us, and it is called the law of the mind, at least the law of the mind at this particular time. So what happens when man thinks this way? and a society and a world begins to develop 
what happens. We see things in life that are not right or uh, are skewed, and we have to find some kind of means to deal with what is not right about what we're experiencing in life. There has to be some kinds of means to deal with the evil that exists in the world. So what is mankind used to do that? Laws. Exactly. Because our mind tells us that we know right from wrong and good from evil, and things are not right in the world, and we desire things to be right in the world, we uh, develop laws to govern human behavior. Now, I got to tell you, because our minds are like that, it's a good thing we have law. Because if you took away the law from the society as it is, you would have anarchy. So the best the world can come up with are laws to govern behavior, right? But I'm going to have to ask you this question. Well, let, let, let's just look at some of the ramifications of human law. As I said, it's designed to make life right or to justify our existence. That is, that is why human law exists. There's civil law, there's criminal law, and every treaty that exists between nations are laws to govern behavior between nations. The pro this is where the problem comes in. All of the different laws, no matter who makes these laws, they tend to contradict each other based on whoever the perspective of the lawmaker is. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. <laughs> That's why, you know, uh, the, the Chinese and the Americans are at odds because they have a way of things. They have a, a system of law and rule and government based on law that is opposed to another nation. So if human law were the way to establish righteousness in the earth, how is it going to happen when everybody has a different perspective? How is that really going to happen? It's not going to happen. The next uh, like weakness that's found in the law is it's incomplete in, in, uh, in its ability to bring obedience. So you can have laws, right? Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't whatever. But that law does not have the power to cause human beings to behave a certain way. That's why it doesn't matter what the society is, everybody breaks the laws. Why do they do that? A choice. And, and, and I, when I say everybody breaks the law, <clears throat> if you have ever driven down the interstate, and then things at 70 miles an hour, do you ever go 72? <laughs> well, you're a lawbreaker, okay? That, that, you say, well, that's not that big a deal. The real question is, do you ever go 69? <laughs> no, nobody goes 69. Everybody goes 70 or higher, okay? But the reality is, the law does not have a capacity within itself to... Uh, cause obedience. So it falls short in bringing, making life right, and it falls short in justifying 
life as we think it should be. Yeah, Bill. You know, what makes it even more confusing is denominationalism. Each one has their own interpretation of the law. Absolutely. Just like, listen, just like there is a, a differences between nations in regard to laws and how those laws that oppose one another, even, listen, I want to tell you something. There are, there are people in China and there are people in the United States and there are people in the United States who firmly believe that their system, their laws, their governance and their life is the way it should be. They got people in China who believe their way, their laws, their existence is the way, and it's the right way to be. They firmly believe it, just like we believe that capitalism and democracy is the way. They believe communism and uh, governmental rule over life. They believe that that is the right way. Oh, you the know. problem is there is enmity between these systems. Yes. <laughs> it is the same in, in a religious fashion. Every religion that there is has a certain set of beliefs, a certain set of traditions and laws and interpretations of scripture. Every one of them has this. And I'm telling you from Baptist to Pentecostal, to Catholic, to Methodist, right on down the list. And all of the other religions, the Muslim religion, the uh, Hindu, all of them, they all have their set of rules and regulations, governance by law that govern their activities. And what happens? They all contradict one another. So there's no unity. There's no love. And this, this rule, the law lacks mercy and it lacks compassion. Why? Why would the law lack mercy? Or compassion. Because it is what it is. <laughs> Thank you. That, that's about it. It is what it is. In other words, if the law says this and you don't do that, you have a problem. And if you have a problem, you either come along or pay the penalty. So the law tends not to have compassion and say, oh, well, maybe we should think about it your way. <laughs> no, it does not do that. It says this is the way. That's what the law does. And you know the last thing human law cannot do? Human law cannot provide the life that we desire. If there is a law, if there is any law on earth that can provide a human being with the love the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control. If there is a law that can produce the fruit of God, then righteousness could come through the law. But there is no law that can produce those things. Now, there's a point to what we're talking about here. You know, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, unless you die to the law. Oh, by the way, so the consciousness in the mind, and, and from that consciousness, every other law, precluding the law of Moses, sprung. And it provides to us all of human law. 
But right around uh, the time of Moses, God gives the law of Moses to Moses, or the law of God to Moses, and on Mount Sinai, and he gave us this law that is a part of the, the picture of this book that I'm talking about. You know, it, it is a part of the picture of the book of the scriptures. And he gave it, he gave us that law for a purpose, for a reason. Not that we, because these guys' law was wrong. And my law, my law is right, although his law is right. There's nothing wrong with the, the Ten Commandments or the law of God. It's not because their law is wrong and my law is right. He gave it to us for a specific reason. And that was to show us that that, that living according to the law, any form of law, listen, including the law of Moses, is not God's ultimate purpose and plan for humanity. The law, his law, is not flawed. There is no flaw in God's law. And he gave it to us to show us that even in the best of laws, a law that came to us straight from God, life, compassion, obedience, and unity, everything that is opposed to the failings of those laws, even in the law of Moses, those things cannot be attained. You know why? Because the law only exposes to us where we fail. Now, there's more to the law of Moses because it points to something else. There's more to the overall picture of the law of Moses, the sacrificial system, that points to more than just the fact that we fail in our ability to obey any form of law. There's more to it. But listen to this. We're going we're to read something. If you all have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. Now, we're kind of gravitating away from human law, and we're moving over to where God gives the law to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai. And this is what Paul writes. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says this, What then are we better than they? Now, who's we in that? We Jews, because Paul was a Jew. Are we better than the Gentiles? Okay. He said, not at all. For uh, we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. So, ultimately, the Jews and the Gentiles are under sin. Now, we think that through the law, we can attain righteousness and life. God says, the law is meant to expose to you that death is reigning over your life and that you need a savior who will redeem you from both the law 
and any external means of justification. That's what Jesus came to, to reveal to us at the cross. But let's look at this. It's very interesting. Now I'm going to read this description to you. And this is not who human beings are innately. It sounds like, man, mankind is like really, really bad. But these things clearly manifest in humanity under the law, believing that through their knowledge of good and evil, they're going to attain life. This is the things that the law proves is the, that there is failings in the system of law for righteousness. Listen to what, what Paul says. He says, there is none righteous, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Now, somebody, somebody might have a problem with that, right? What about Abraham, right? Yeah. What about all of the people of patriarchs who believe God and appear to have sought after God, okay? Let's, let's just fast forward to Jesus' time, okay? John the Baptist, right? All of the prophets, he said, then none of them attained to, to, to John the Baptist's stature. Jesus said that. You know what John the Baptist did? After he saw heaven open and a dove descended, he said, listen, would y'all go to Jesus and make sure that he's the one? You remember that? Would y'all go and ask him if, he's, if he is the one? Okay. All of the disciples, I want you to understand, all of the disciples. We, a, a matter of fact, uh, Ray last week kind of talked, alluded to this too. They saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw him cure lepers. They saw him heal blind men. They heard his words, his teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. We read about it. They, they were there for the Sermon on the Mount. He saw them turn five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people. They saw a lot. Then, just before he was crucified, what happened? He said, let's, I'm going to be crucified, and three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead. It sounded like gibberish to him. That's what the scriptures say. Then, he was crucified. And some women went to the grave and said, he's risen. And they went back to the disciples and said, he's risen. You know what they said? I oh, we don't believe that. <laughs> that. That's impossible. Even though he said it was going to happen, they said it was impossible. So, now we're going to get back to that verse of scripture. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good, not one. Now, what this is communicating to us is that not everybody but Moses or not everybody but Abraham, not, there is none who in their earthly dwelling 
with their carnal mindset can possibly attain to the salvation that only God can bring to the human heart. There's no one, no one, no one who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb, their tongues, they practice deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But God is in the business of restoring innocence to the human heart. That, that is his purpose in life. It's the, only, it's the only reason that he came to this earth. It's the only reason he died to the cross was to come back to you and restore innocence to your heart. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to continue and we're going to see how he does this. Now we know, after he gives us this description, this is verse uh, 19. Now we know what the law says. It says to those who are under the law that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world become accountable to God or guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, shall no flesh be justified in his sight. But by the law is the knowledge of sin. All the things we just heard that kind of tell you that mankind falls short, by the law comes that knowledge. Okay. Now, somebody said, well, wow, (laughs) we got an issue here. Mm -hmm. But now, verse 21, but now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. Being witness of the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, by the way, we've got to stop there. But now the righteousness of who? Okay, we got we got to stop there. But now the righteousness of who? God. Of not of man, mm-hmm. not of man, because we already heard what's in man. Now the righteousness of who? God. Of God is manifest. To which the law and the prophets testify that this way is not the way. even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For there is no difference. Sin falls short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? How would you define, if we fall short of the glory of God, how would you define it if we possessed the glory of God? What is the glory of God? The glory of God is to possess the life that is in God. So if you have the life or actually possess the life that is in God, then you would possess the glory of God. But mankind does not possess that life, so they fall short of the glory of God. But now, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to go to verse uh, 23. It says, fall of sin and fall short of the glory, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is by Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation for his blood 
through faith to demonstrate his righteousness toward us because in his forbearance he passed over the sins previously committed he demonstrated at the present time his righteousness that he might be the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus what does it mean to be just just like we think just means that we're not doing bad or that we're being good we're being good little boys and girls but that's not what being just means if you well, you know what? I think I'm going to look it up for you. Hang on for one second. All right. Let's see. The just shall live by faith. This is what it means to be just. It means to possess and equitable to, to be equitable in character or act with who Jesus. with ourselves Jesus. it to be just he is just and the justifier of those who believe in jesus to be equitable in character and act or implication to be innocent to be holy to be just to be meek. you know what it means to be meek. To be meek means to be have been made complete and right. To be equitable in character act by implication, that is to be holy, innocent, just, meet, and right. So if you are in equitability with God, innocent, holy, just, meet, and right, what else do you need? If you are perfect, if for by one sacrifice he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Go ahead. That's uh, that, that's a stumbling block from the beginning. I mean, when Paul died, he had one friend, and all the churches that had grace had now thought, no. I mean, all of us, if we won the lottery, not one of us would say, I didn't earn it here. You pick it back. Right. You know, but we, we stumble over that God says as his life is a free gift from his love, a free gift to us. That's right. And we can't, we can't, no, that can't be, I, I have to be accountable. I have to perform something. The carnal mind. The, by the way, we now have, uh, the divine nature, the divine mind. We have the mind of Christ, or we should have the mind of Christ. We do have the mind of Christ. The problem is, <laughs> the problem is, because we're still in this earthly tent, this earthly dwelling, and our thinking, uh, listen, from our earliest childhood, do you think you forgot everything that you learned all your whole life? Mm -hmm. No, your whole life, your carnal way of thinking, and, and your mindset from, from this point, in your entire history is still there that carnal mindset that we have so coming to understand the truth you have to break down years of misunderstanding mm -hmm. in in wrong conclusions you know how i was talking about the scriptures how it has a beginning a body and an end listen i'm telling you this is not most of the christian world today 
is swimming around the body of scriptures, trying to figure out what it means and, and pitting one scripture against another saying, well, this says this, but this seems to negate that. And yeah. this says this, so this is what we got to do. One religion says, well, you know, we got to worship on Saturday because that's the uh, that's the real Sabbath. Mm -hmm. You have another one that says, it is the most preposterous, ridiculous thing that ever existed. You read a book for its conclusion. Do you understand? We read a book, not to swim around the body of that book and never coming to a conclusion. Amen. We are coming to a conclusion. That conclusion is Jesus, the one who is completely secured for us, eternal salvation. And, and then when you begin to, to know that you are complete, that you have eternal life, that nothing can separate, separate you from the love of God that's in Christ. When you come to the conclusion and you read that, when you go back to the body, things begin to make sense to you. But as long as you have, you're not basing your understanding on the conclusion and what that conclusion actually means, you'll be forever swimming around saying, well, you know, this verse says this and that one says that. And, and double-minded. Well, double-minded, double mind, yes. One, one of the books that I burned um, said <laughs> that they would, they would talk about love and mercy and punishment and how they coexist and that we're not supposed to understand, and that's the mystery of God. Right. And we have to accept that mystery of God. Yeah, yeah. What, there, what, there, there was a mystery, and that mystery was Christ. But now Christ has been revealed, so the mystery has been removed. Mm -hmm. but, but the problem is, people who want to keep you under their control, and that's religion, uh, you know, just to be honest with you, they want to keep you con under control. They want your money. They don't believe that. I'm, I want you to understand, they don't believe that they are, uh, you know, stealing people's money. They really don't believe. They believe they're doing the works of God. But yeah, I just remember, remember what Jesus said. He says, there's a time coming when those who persecute you and uh, do all kinds of evil things against you will believe that they're doing it for God. Listen, anyone who is keeping you from experience the fullness of Christ is a liar. Just Amen. understand what I'm telling you there. If they are not telling you that you it's over, that it is finished, that your life has been made complete by Jesus, anybody that's saying that is a liar. But in their minds, I'm just going to tell you, they're just being good Christians, good Jews, good they all do not think of themselves that way, but they are not telling you the truth. Now, we just need to write a new version of the Bible that reflects what we believe. No, that's not what we need to do. Listen, the Bible as it is written, listen, the Bible that as it is written testifies to the very thing that I'm saying. We do not need another version of the Bible. It says it the way it does. But again, when you're swimming around in that body trying to figure it out, you're going to find things that seem contradictory and you, you, so to where you never come to the conclusion. Yeah. Now, I think it's interesting, like believing in the conclusion changes, like how you're saying, 
when you go and read it again. It's almost like watching a movie for the second time. Mm. You pick up all these things and you're like, how did I not see that the first time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you're watching it in light of what has happened. You know I, I have a friend. Right. Actually, I'll, I'll, she wouldn't mind me saying Debbie watching. Jones. She says, when I read a book, I go read the end first. <laughs> and it's not because I want to save time. It's not because I want to ruin the whole thing. But when I read the end first and I go back and I begin and read, I can actually appreciate the book more because I understand where it's actually heading. And listen to what I'm going to tell you. It's just like I cannot emphasize this more. If you don't know the conclusion, you will never. It's kind of like Paul said. You'll be forever learning, Mm -hmm. but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. You will be forever learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And that's where most religion finds itself. Forever learning, not coming to a knowledge of the truth. So Paul says this, he goes on, he says, this is verse 27 in Romans. He says, where is boasting then? In other words, if our righteousness is of him and not of us, he gives us his righteousness in that incorruptible life that he has given us if if that is where it comes from where then is boasting is it it is excluded by what by the law or of works no by the by the uh by the law of faith therefore we conclude that a man is justified made right made whole made holy just forever through the faith of jesus christ I'm sorry. Apart from the deeds of the law. And then it says, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is only one God who justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we make void the law through faith. Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, last time we got together, when I was uh, doing a whiteboard, we talked about the fact that there are, as far as the Lord is concerned, there's only two laws. And what are those two laws? The law of Moses and the law of the spirit of life. And as we continue here in Romans, you'll see, because he, he begins to talk about uh, the law of the spirit of life. So we know what the law of Moses is, right? Now I'm trying to turn, turn chapters on my, on my computer here, and it's not happening. <laughs> How is that happening? Calm down. We'll get there. You know what it is. Do you want to join the internet? (laughs) Okay. Well, actually, I'm going to bring it up. I can bring it up in my phone. That's a fine going thing. 
Okay. So when we look back in Jewish history, chapter 4, verse 1, what shall we say that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he had wherefore the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him, or credited to him, as righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but is of debt. Now, just to, to, to get back to this, when you are working some kind of law or principle or guideline, anything external to try to prove yourself acceptable to God, when you're working external commands and rules and regulations to prove or justify yourself, your reward is not a gift. God would owe that to you because of what you did. But to him, this verse 5, but to him who worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. And who does God, I want to hear y'all say this now, who does God justify? Does he justify those who believe that their righteousness is according to the law and God owes them that righteousness? It says, but him who justifieth the who? The, ungodly. the ungodly, to him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, when you believe in the God who justifies the ungodly, his faith, whoever believes that way, is credited to him as righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Now, you got to ask your question. You got to ask yourself a question. Are my iniquities forgiven? Does God impute to me sin anymore? The answer to that question, there's only one answer to that, and it is no, he does not. Blessed, and, and then he says this, Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. Does he impute sin to you anymore? You've got to ask. No, don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Does he impute sin to you anymore? No. You know, plenty of times we go to go through the scriptures and we read, and we we just reading words, and we we know they say something. They know they have meaning. And God's going to somehow or another put that thing together for me. But when you read something and he says, blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin, and that's me, you got to ask yourself the question, is he imputing sin to me anymore? And you have got to come up with an answer. It's not a matter of study. It's not a matter of trying to figure it out. It's not a matter of going to another scripture. What about that scripture? Well, when you oh. say sin, yeah. you really mean bad behavior. Well, let me just say this. 
any any form of sin you can possibly think of, right. including unbelief. And let me tell you why I say that. Okay. Okay. You remember when we were reading back how the law convicts us of the way we're viewing life under the law and, and through our own righteous works uh, mentality? The law says that there is none who believes, none who seeks after God. So even unbelief, every form of sin you can possibly imagine, he completely eradicates and is taken from man into himself on the cross. Now somebody will say, well, Maurice, you must be saying that everybody's saved, that the whole world has been forgiven and he is no longer imputing men's sins against them. And I would say to you, that is exactly right. That is correct. But partially. <laughs> partially. <laughs> All men are not saved who have not come to believe on that justification. Mm -hmm. If you do not receive, believe and receive that justification from God, you have not received the light. It's kind of curious. Paul uh, said an interesting thing. He says, uh, therefore, having been reconciled by God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved, saved by his life? Salvation, the world was reconciled to God at the cross, to be, to be believed on in the world. But, but salvation coming to the human heart as an individual is when, when somebody sees that reality and receives it unto themselves. And when they do, I'm not talking about just believing. I'm talking about believing unto life, believing unto an, an imputed life that becomes now your life. That's what Jesus came to do. I'd like to add my peanuts. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I, when you were reading, uh, there is none who do good. No, not one. Um, what I saw in that is like how flawed using the word, um, Sharon used our logic is how flawed our logic is. And that's how I see sin. It's, it's human logic. Yes. Like just, this is how it has to be like, and even us as believers in grace, we often struggle with human logic. And that's as simple as it is. And you can't receive justification from God unless you give it up and ask God to show you his logic. Definitely. And by doing that is what causes your heart to believe unto grace. Because our log logic just does not allow us to put our bodies to rest, to receive. Because we feel like we're on this treadmill. We have to go and... And, and gain life for ourselves or our families or loved ones or whoever. So anyway, um, to address what, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but what you were saying about sin, like asking, what do you mean by sin? That's kind of how I see it, like just human logic. Right. You know? Yeah. So. The carnal mind is at enmity with God. And it cannot receive the things of God right. because those things are spiritually discerned. Right. And when a person believes unto that life and has that life, 
all of a sudden you begin to to be aware of who you are in him and he can begin to reveal to you the truth of his grace toward you things like who can separate us from the love of god in tribulation trial he has this long list of things that he is saying cannot separate us from the love of god the only thing that paul left out in that list was sin he didn't say sin cannot separate us from the love of god but he left that out erroneously nothing can separate you from the life of god when you have been imputed righteousness and the sin your sin was taken away and will never be imputed to you so that that sin it's impossible for sin to separate in any form to separate you from the love of god now you go back to thinking like this and you may be thinking it is you think like this and and you will be thinking it has now Listen to this. This is from Romans chapter 4, verse 13. You know what I'm realizing? Okay. I'm looking at the clock, and I said, man, am I going that long? <laughs> I'm going to hold off. I'm okay. But I'm not going to I promise we're not going to be at 12. 12 20, okay? Anyway, Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Listen to this. For the promise that he, that's Abraham, should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seeds through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of law be heirs, is made uh, faith is made void in the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, can you imagine that? So, mankind, with this flawed belief system, this flawed logic we have, believing that through the knowledge of good and evil, we can attain life for ourselves, we have this flawed logic. But that Flawed logic brings enmity and wrath between people and ultimately separation from God if you remain believing like that. But it said, it said this is just a, kind of a crazy thing. But the, because the law worketh wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. So y'all realize that the Apostle Paul said, we're no longer under law, but grace. Okay. So if there's no law telling you that you're a transgressor and you better not do that thing, is there transgression? Can a, can a believer transgress when there is no law saying, don't do those things? Can you transgress? There's no law. There is no law saying you cannot, you can transgress. Therefore, it is a faith that it may be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to only 
that which is of the law, but the Jews, but to also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. Before him who believed God, even who quickened the dead, and calls things which are not as though they are. Now listen to this. Now here's a guy. You know the God who we believe in? He calls things that are not as though they were. And what happens? It comes. It happens. Now, God says, Marie, I have declared you righteous in my sight. I have taken away your sins, and I have given you my eternal life. Now, Marie, don't see this. She hasn't necessarily experienced it, but she hears this word of his grace and his righteousness toward her. And he, she says, I'll take that. And when she takes that, that which was unseen becomes real to her. She is made holy and righteous once for all. And as she begins to walk through this life, because she knows the conclusion, she has something within her that empowers her to be who she was actually created to be, a child of the living God. You don't have to become a scholar in uh, theology or the Bible or anything like that. You can be completely made holy, completely whole, completely justified, completely righteous, because you believed on the Son who made you that way. That's the conclusion of the book. Ah. So Abraham, not being weak in the faith, he considered not his own body, dead as it was, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, but and he staggered not in the at the promise of God through unbelief, but was made strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him as righteousness. And it's the same for us. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him for righteousness, but to us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, to, to take the offenses away, and was raised again for our justification. That's why I was saying, we, when you look at the term justification, it means equitable in character and act, having been made holy, having been made meet, having been made perfect. So he was delivered over for our offenses. He took away our sins at the cross, and he was raised from the dead for our justification. Because when you believe on Jesus unto life, that's with repentance, not from sin, repentance in God for the life that he gives us. When you repent unto life and you have that life, you 
find yourself completely justified. That's it. Then you can go back and read all those confusing things in the scriptures and say, well, I don't know if I completely understand that or that seems to contradict that verse. You know? But I know that I am made 100% hold and right and meet before God in every way there is, in character and in act, with the one who died for me. Now listen, you start, that becomes your life. The conclusion of the book becomes your life. Jesus becomes your life. And you will lack nothing in life. Nor will you be struggling to figure this thing out. Amen. Jesus figured this thing out for us. You realize it. Jesus figured it out. We don't. We can't figure that out. That's all we got to do is go back to those verses we're re reading in chapter three. We can't figure it out. We ain't got it within us to figure out. Therefore, this is this is uh, uh, Romans chapter five. Therefore, having been justified, made whole, holy equitable in character and act of God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God for our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only uh, so, but we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation work, worketh patience and patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost of the Holy Spirit, which he has given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely would a, a righteous man be willing to die, yet for a righteous man, yet peradventure, for a good man, some might possibly dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Much more then, having been justified by his blood, shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him by the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Not only so, but we joy in God for our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We can go on. The book of Romans, my God, it's so rich in this truth. Matter of fact, what I like about the book, the book of Romans is probably the most single most comprehensive book in the Bible to communicate the Bible. I mean, uh, to communicate the gospel itself, you know. But uh, anybody have any thoughts about all of this? I think part of what you're saying is um, where people confuse the scripture says uh, the road is narrow, right? And I, I think those who find God's love instead of his condemnation, yeah. that's the road that's narrow. Absolutely. Yeah. No question about and, it. And, the road is wide to destruction. Those who feel like they must go like this. Yeah. Um, I spoke at a, uh, a Youth for Christ conference and wasn't received well. 
-hmm. But at the end, I go, so if someone never stepped in a church, never tithed, want nothing to do with your God, and dies, and goes before God, and for the first and suffers his whole life, but for the first time sees sees truth and love, and he he weeps because he he sees what he's missed. He sees, I, I love you. <laughs> Would he allow him to go to heaven? And they said no. No, he has to work. I said, well, then he would owe the other uh, man who was hung with him on a cross apology. But he said, today you'll be in paradise with me. Right? I mean, I think once we see him, everything changes. Not that those won't deny him, but there'll be those who see the truth and love for the first time and they're blown away. Well, I will say that uh, salvation beyond our lifetime is not, I don't see that actually taught in scriptures. I believe that the time to believe is now. It is not later on. There, I, I, I just don't see salvation coming to any human being after death. It's, that's not, I, I don't see that communicated in scripture. But we don't have to wait until we are face to face with God to see God. We can see him right now in the cross. Matter of fact, that's why he came. That we might see God in the face of Christ on the cross. And that's where probably the biggest issue with all of this lies. Because the law lacks compassion and it has it, it lacks the ability to give life, salvation had to come through faith to all who believe. And that salvation comes when you believe in this life and that life comes to you. When that life comes to you and you see that love and that compassion that was at the cross, you, you're saved eternally. And you have seen the face of God. You have seen and experienced the mercy of God in that life. Y'all have anybody else? Yes, go ahead. I believe that God will have a way to, to um, touch the lives of everybody whether in a dream, if they're in a coma, sometime before they actually leave this life, um, God can come to them some way that we don't know about and present the gospel to them and show them who he is and have them accept it. And we don't know anything about it. You know, and, and, and they don't have to wait till the next life to see him. They can do it here and now, but we don't have to know. I'm trying to find that. I the think there's a way. There's a scripture that's been in Romans chapter in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Paul says this. But I ask, have they not heard? Yes, verily. Their sound or their voice went into all the earth to the end of the world. Their words have come. So 
this is a this what we're talking about here or a little bit of swimming around trying to uh, what about the people who never heard and she's sharing how she believes that uh, somehow or another the word comes to everybody and but knowing the end from the beginning knowing that you are saved that you have his life that you completeness has come to you okay as we look back into the scriptures which we should it begins to the scriptures begin to reveal themselves to us listen I don't have to I, I don't have to boast in my scriptural knowledge listen I've been studying the scripture for 35 years and I know a lot of truth I really do this is what I'm teaching today is it comes from these 35 years and knowing the Lord and being deeply into the scriptures but I don't have to boast in my knowledge and my knowledge doesn't cause me to be saved Jesus saved me he gave me his life I have eternal life he has made me perfect forever and I'm gonna tell you the people who die without the Lord I don't have to say well you know my my, my mommy and my daddy uh, I'm not so sure they knew but when they go see him he, he they're gonna see him and they're gonna know he's loving him. they're gonna be saved then I don't have to believe that kind of stuff because it's nowhere testified in the scriptures but I do know one thing people are curious about these things and they search and they search and they find things like this their voice has gone into all the earth and we can trust that somehow or another God in his province and his ability yeah. is capable of communicating what people need to know now can you imagine this there's a verse in uh, I think it's in Romans also where it says that uh, I'm trying to think of how it, how it's worded but it, it talks about that Oh, it's in the book of Acts, actually. Acts chapter 17. It, it says that he uh, gave all men life and determined their times and their places. Now, here's a God who created the whole universe who is going to resurrect your dead body, even if it's dust, and make a, a glorified human body out of it, right? Mm -hmm. You think you're capable of doing that? Mm -hmm. He is capable, because and he's going to do it if you believe in him. He's going to raise your body and he created the universe could he place people where he chose to place them and reveal himself to whom he chooses to reveal them and might he know who is going to believe in him ahead of time and who is not going to believe in him all these things are, are, are possibilities but none of it matters none of these things matter the only thing that matters is this I believe unto eternal life and I have eternal life. That's it. I have a life that will never end and it is a perfect life, not subject to sin and death. So all of these idiosyncrasies and what about this and what about that, let God make that plain to you. But you've got to do it based on the end of the story. Well, I think the end of the story is when we get to heaven, we'll be saying, what are you doing here? How'd you get here? <laughs> And that's the end of the story because it is what it is. But, you know, this thing you were saying today, like, you know, atheists, 
are intellectually honest mm -hmm. because they understand the decisions they make today and how they view life is based on the fact they're going to whack out when they die or, you know, just mm -hmm. end their existence. I think the church is very interesting because they use human law and um, to say this will give you eternal life. Mm -hmm. And that's how the church becomes double-minded because they're trying to work the human law to get eternal life. And at some point, yeah. we're, we're all here because of that, because we're working the human law and, and saying, we ain't getting life from that. In fact, it's taking life away from mm -hmm. us. And so I think it's very confusing as far as the church is concerned, because they say, you know, they have all these contradictions in scriptures. And they say, well, you just have to live with it. You know, that's yeah. God's providence, you know. And, you know, Take you have to be, faith. you have to be double-minded in order to understand that. Mm -hmm. And that's the way God works. So, you know, at least there's intellectual honesty mm -hmm. with atheists, mm -hmm. where I think it's very, you know, it's unintentionally deceptive to say this is the way of life. And, you know, just work your workbook harder, you know, do more service, mm -hmm. do, you know, do this, you know, don't miss church, God forbid, eating meat on Sundays or whatever. Um, for, or people, for, for people, yeah. for people who should know, it's intellectually dishonest to teach something that's contrary to the truth. Because people who should know, it's, it's intellectually dishonest to teach people that they need to do all these things in order well, to I mean, if you go to book, righteous before you God. go to Barnes and Noble and you look at all the books on there, it's about either A, how to improve your life here. Yeah. Because you're already going to heaven. Absolutely. Or two, what else do you have to do? Right. Like mm -hmm. they have all these books on Jesus not going to come back until the internet hits everyone and they get to hear, you know, get to hear about the preaching of Jesus. And we're sort of responsible for doing that as pastors or as the church mm -hmm. and that we're burdened with that. And mm -hmm. that, you know, you know, it's even burdened with a lot of kids saying, if you don't prophesize to someone or witness to someone, especially in an annoying place like an airplane mm -hmm. or, you know, somewhere where you can find that these people aren't going to make it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just based on, you know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is, that, you know, we're all bipolar when it comes to the church <laughs> because what they teach us is that's the way of life and that's the way of death. Mm -hmm. But we, we try to f believe it and force it and do everything we can to believe it. And then we come out mm -hmm. totally confused in need of yeah. Greg. Everybody, every, listen, everybody's trying to figure it out. But you got to understand that Jesus is the one that figured it out. Yeah. And he's the one who gives life to everyone who believes in him. Wow. Today, in this life. <laughs> believe in him in this life, and he will give you his life. Mm -hmm. And and that life is eternal. And, you know, all, all of the, some of these idiosyncrasies and why it works, and even the stuff that I have up here. Take a picture of this thing before you before you leave, because there's, there's truth here about how man operates and how God came and reestablished innocence in our hearts by declaring us innocent at the cross. You have been justified by my death and you and, and, and through my resurrection. We have a perfect life. 
the love of God for man apart from the law has been provided us. A life in which there is no sin in death. A life lacking of a sin consciousness. By the way, which is crazy because most of the church operating under the law of sin and death over here finds itself very sin conscious. That's all they can do. The Christian, for most folks, the Christian life is what can I do and what can I do? Did I do that right? Or did I do more? Should I do more of it? They're constantly evaluating their behavior. That is what's called a sin consciousness. God wants to eradicate but through the fact that he's already imputed to you his righteousness, an idea where you're not thinking about sin all the time. Because I'm going to tell you, the mind set on the flesh, the mind set on the flesh is doomed to the activities of the flesh. I can tell you that. But the, the mind set on the spirit, the mind set on things above, the mind set on the fact that you have been given that life, all of a sudden, you're not thinking about sin all the time. I, I, I had I got a um, something on Facebook a while ago. It was G, a picture of Jesus standing, talking to another man with his arm around him. The, the title at the top was Things Jesus Never Said. And at the bottom it says, You're not trying hard enough. <laughs> that's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's very poignant. I think, very good. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting, like, um, you know, since I came to the church, I, um, I, I lived so much of my life being very, very, very hard on myself. Like my parents used to say that I would punish myself. Like if I did when I was little, sure. you know, if I did something wrong or to avoid getting in trouble, I'd go hide in the corner and they'd be like, Brandy, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm punishing myself. <laughs> Get out of the corner. <laughs> And, and, and guess what? This, the, the very, you realize that the Gentiles were actually not given the law of Moses. I mean, we, yeah. the Christian church has kind of adopted that as our rules for living, which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But, but we, we have adopted that. The law of Moses was given to the nation of Israel. We were never under the law. That's right. But we adopted it. So we placed ourselves under the law. It's not that we're not under the law of Moses. Because when you think that's what I got to live by, you place yourself under the law. But it was never really given to the Gentiles. It was given to the Jews to show the world through the Jews that righteousness cannot attain, be attained through the law. Look at the history of the nation of Israel. Did they do what was right? Did they have the law? Well, why didn't they just do what was right? Because it's impossible to do everything right. It, yeah. it is not in man to have to possess the righteousness and the glory of God. It is not in us to do it. Before salvation or after salvation, righteousness is a gift of God that we believe on and that comes to fruition. The God who speaks things that are not and as though they were, and it comes into being. That's the God we believe in. And the God who takes the ungodly, not the perfect ones and who know the Bible real good. He takes the ungodly and he imputes to them his righteousness. That's the God that I believe in. He would impute it to everybody, but and for the people who want to do it by the law, 
they just can't receive it. Right. It's not like it's not offered to them. They just don't want it. The, the, that's right. The, they the, want to do the, it the themselves. We already read in Romans chapter 3 that there's none righteous. Okay? But it, when I say the righteousness won't, can't receive it, it it's, it's just exactly what you're saying. They can't hear it because they're too busy establishing their own righteousness. You see, I use this thing a lot with people. Uh, and I'm not, I, I'm having a hard time because there's a lot of where I live, there's a lot of people who think they have to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. And But um, on occasion, I use the example of the only two people that Christ saw that says, you are more right, you have more faith than anybody else that I've ever met in Israel, or anybody, all the Israelites. And, um, you know, both of them were Gentiles, and they didn't have the law. And I tell people, well, they didn't have the law. That's why it was easy for them to believe in Christ, because they didn't have that law in front of them to, you know, to stop their vision so they can see it for what it for Christ who he was. Listen, the, but part of part of the the idea of the veil in the temple is that of the law. It's the veil that blinds us from the experiencing and entering into God's presence and being one with God. That that law, that sin consciousness. Mm -hmm has us, well, I wonder if I prayed, did, did, did we tithe this month, or did we, all of this stuff that is not of God has us trying to scale the veil when he already scale ripped it open veil. through his death <laughs> on the cross. He ripped that thing open and we can walk into the presence of God because he did that for us, not because we tithe, not because we go to church three times a week, not because we read the Bible, not because of our Bible knowledge, none of that stuff. We can go into that temple because he ripped that temple through the veil, which was his body. So just enter in. There are people there who think, there's one lady who told, I was telling her, you know, I believe in the, the gospel that Paul taught. I believe in the gospel of grace. And then she tells me, and I should have stayed with her and talked more, but I just didn't feel like I'd handle it. But she said, um, but that's not what Jesus taught. I'm thinking, well, am I wrong? Jesus was talking to Jewish people. So sometimes when they went to him and asked him a question, they gave, he gave them an answer on their level. Yes. But when did the New Testament start? I think it started after Christ died and he rose from, rose from his correct. grave. Yeah. And I think most of the Christian world believing that the New Testament started when Christ was born. Well, no, that's not when it started. And so they're thinking about all the stuff that the Christ said to the Jewish people, thinking, oh, that's me. He's talking to me. He said, oh, well, you have to obey this law and that. Well, that's the level they were on. It was after he died and rose that the New Testament started. And that's when um, the, the grace came up, really came out. That's right. And I so I'm, I'm, I'm all <laughs> confused about what to say to these people. No, you, you How to help them. What to do. Because they're doing. all into the law. Well, it's, uh, it's, 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 but you, it's really not your burden to do. It, <laughs> right. it just happens. But, but you know what? We, we, we integrate with people in our lives. And everybody, it, it, it's kind of crazy. Listen, I love, listen to what I'm saying. I love to relate to people. 
on airplanes, in the grocery store, you know, wherever I'm at, I like relating to people and I like to talk spiritual things with people. Marie, you don't like talk to nobody. She, half the time she don't even talk to me. But you know what? She knows the Lord, she knows the truth, and she's happy within herself. And guess what? Who Marie is, she is who God created her to be. That's exactly the way she is. And it's true of each and every one of us. You know, you can't say because somebody shares, well, maybe I ought to be sharing the gospel with everybody too. Or I am obligated to mm -hmm. preach the gospel mm -hmm. to everybody too. You, listen, when you read like in the 28th chapter of Matthew, when he says, go into the, all the world, it is really saying, as you go, live that life, and that life will testify of my immortal life mm. that was given to men to be their bread for life and to provide them with the eternal life that they so desire. It's not something to do. It is a, it is something to be. That's why we're called human beings and not human doings <laughs> because we were actually designed to be. We were created in whose image? God. And what did he say about himself? I am. Or does he say, I do? He is, I am. He is the God who is, I am. And you just be who you are. You don't have to. Listen, I could read some scriptures that said, from uh, Matthew chapter 28, and have you out there witnessing people knocking on doors. <laughs> I, I, I could do that. And a lot of people do do that. Actually, there's a whole religion based on that, the Jehovah's Witness, all based on God said we to be his witnesses. So how do they justify themselves? Obeying that scripture that says we're to be witnesses, knocking on doors. And they're working their way to heaven and precluding themselves from the grace of God who wants to give them eternal life. I'm going to tell you, I don't understand it. I, I guess because I know the truth, mm -hmm. I don't understand that mentality. Yeah. Why somebody insists on working something that God wants to give them as a free gift in a garden? There was a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were in a garden. They were perfectly innocent. And they, they and, and somehow or another, Satan draws attention in this thing. Did God really tell you not to eat from uh, uh, any of the trees in the garden? Oh, no, just this tree right here. And they said, he said, listen, eat from that tree and you'll know. You, you can be like God, knowing right from wrong, good from evil. And they chose that tree. But can you imagine if they would have said, listen, the Lord said, don't eat from that tree. We're not going to eat from that tree. They were eventually going to eat from the tree of life and be there in innocence all the days of their lives. No law, nothing, no regulation, no tithing, no temple worship, no, none of that stuff would have existed. They would have been in that garden eating from the tree of life and living forever. That was the only other option. Yeah. But you know what? In essence, he's given us that same choice. We can work our way to heaven, or we can take it as a gift. We can work our own righteousness, or we can allow him to make us into the people that, that we desire. 
I'll let him do the work. And listen, that's what the gospel teaches. That's what the end of the book tells us. Let's pray. You, did you have something else? No? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the eternal life that you've given us, the fact that you uh, came to us, uh, revealed yourself to the world in those years that you were on earth, that you uh, took away our sins at the cross once for all, that you were raised from the dead to give that resurrected life to everyone who believes. And Lord, in that life is not just longevity, not just that we're going to live forever, but there's a quality that is to that life. There's a faith that is in that life because it's not our faith. It is the faith that was in you toward your father when you trusted him to raise you from the dead. We can have that faith also as we come to grips with the reality that just as you said on the cross it is finished, that we conclude in our hearts that it is finished. We love you, Lord, and we just uh, I pray for everybody to have just a great day today. And uh, again, we, we love you and praise you for everything and every uh, everything that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.